You're listening to the Library Pros Podcast with Chris and Bob, a techie librarian and a computer IT guy discussing libraries, technology, and all things this side of the reference desk. Thanks, Carl. Hi, and welcome to episode nine of the Library Pros Podcast. I'm Chris. And I'm Bob. Uh, we're coming to you from the Sachem Public Library in Holbrook, New York. If this is your first time listening, thanks for coming. The Library Pros podcast is produced bi-monthly, so don't forget to check us out and subscribe to our RSS feed, iTunes, Android, email, and now on Google Play. Very exciting. Links and notes from today's podcast can be found on our website, www.thelibrarypros.com, on Twitter, at The Library Pros, or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash The Library Pros. So today, joining us via uh, video using Google Duo, which is Google's new video chat service, is our guest Sarah Houghton, also known as the library blogger, the librarian in black. Sarah is the director of the San Rafael Public Library in California and is the author of the Librarian in Black blog. Her blog discusses libraries and technology, so she's a natural for us Absolutely. here at the Library Pros. Um, Sarah comes to us today again via Google Duo and... It's it's really cool video uh, conference the same way um, uh, Skype is and uh, FaceTime and all those other uh, services. So welcome to the podcast. Thanks, thanks for having me. Uh, today we're going to speak to Sarah about uh, how she's pierced that veil between wanting to write a blog and actually taking that leap, along with some techy, geeky, nerdy kind of stuff. But first. Um, we wanted to talk a little bit with Sarah about some things that she's been involved with as a librarian. Uh, can you tell us uh, how you first started in the profession, like where you went to school and your first jobs and that kind of thing? Sure. Um, I uh, My first library job was like many library, uh, library staff and librarians. It was as a shelver. Um, I worked at a small public library as one of my many jobs trying to put myself through undergrad. And... Uh, enjoyed working in the library and uh, <clears throat> from there we had different jobs in circulation, cataloging, data entry, rare book rooms, all of this stuff before it even occurred to me to try to be a librarian or to go to library school. So uh, I was in the process of getting a master's degree in Irish mythology and realized I was not super keen on academia, kind of the, the tone of it and I didn't feel like I was making a difference with the, the focus of my time and work every day. Uh, I wasn't helping anyone. And so uh, I thought about what I did like and what I liked was my library jobs uh, compared to, you know, the jobs at the flooring and linoleum store, which I did not like. Uh, I definitely, <laughs> definitely liked working in the libraries. And uh, I'd been told for a very long time, oh, you're going to be a librarian. My mother said that to me when I was a kid. I had... When I was in undergrad, people telling me that's what I was going to be, and I resisted it because I had had very bad experiences with librarians as a child and as a teenager, and I didn't want to be that. I thought that's what a librarian was, was somebody who was grumpy and told you no. Um, and I finally caved in and uh, went to library school, got my degree at University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign, and immediately came out to California and have been working here for 15 years. California. Uh, I love California. Palm trees. I wish we were there. Oh, yeah, definitely, especially since it's going to get cold tomorrow. Why did you have to do that? Uh, mm -hmm. I was we were enjoying it. It was good. Intro was nice. I know. First I'd... question went well. Now, cold weather. Thanks a lot. Yeah, thanks. Okay. Yeah, it's like 80 and sunny here, so, you know, it's, it's sorry. It's going to be 40 at night. And yeah, today was our last day of seeing 80. Uh, I think yeah. tomorrow's going to go up to like 67. Oh. It's terrible. Anyway, but we digress. You know, it's <laughs> funny. Whenever we have librarians on and... Um, Bob's a, an IT guy, and uh, I'm a librarian. It's funny. We always see that most people go into the profession not as their primary profession, but as a second profession. Uh, I, I affectionately call it uh, librarians living on the island of misfit toys hmm. because everyone, not, there are not many people out there. There are a rare breed that, that are out there that say, when I want to grow up, I want to be a librarian and go to college and become a librarian straight out of the box without, you know, any hesitation. That's a very rare breed. Yeah. And uh, it's, there's the moaning we were telling you about. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. That's um, it's our resident ghost here at the Sachem Public Library. So uh, 
what I'm trying to say is um, everybody starts someplace else and ends up in a library, which is really a nice thing because it just it shows how um, it, it draws the right kind of people. I think so. I think a lot of us get exposed to you know, either work in a public library or we've been helped by someone in a library, and uh, that's what draws us to the work. We, we haven't thought of it, but once we get exposed to it, it's kind of a, oh, yeah, I can do that. That, that feels right. That, that's something that I would find rewarding. Um, I hear that story over and over again, and um, a lot of people I know who are librarians and have pursued other careers um, say the same thing about their new careers, too. People who have become teachers or yoga instructors or whatever. I think you just get exposed through life to different things, and when something feels right, it clicks and it fits. And for me and others, I guess that's being a librarian, at least for now. <laughs> that's funny. All right, so... Um so we heard you consider yourself a technology nerd, um, exactly like Chris and I. Uh, what was your first foray into technology? So was it the Commodore 64, the Atari 2600, or ColcaVision? I mean, I guess Atari, but I didn't really think of that as technology at the time. No. My grandparents had one, so it was kind of a you know fighting with the other 14 grandchildren over who got to actually play with it. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I think the first kind of individual experience I had with technology was with a Tandy computer, and I can't remember the model because I didn't care at the time. Probably Tandy 800, uh, right? Probably was a Tandy 800. Tandy 800, yeah. Probably. <laughs> uh, and <laughs> it, was, uh, it was playing a text-based game called Planetfall, which I loved as a kid. That's so cool. And I would sit there and try to figure it out and constantly fail. I never did get anywhere close to completing the game. Um, but I remember getting so frustrated at maybe age nine or so that I just started typing swear words into the into the <laughs> command line. Nice, that's great. And it had a it had a nice response to that. I can't remember it was something like "Please don't use that language" or, or something like that. It was a very polite way of saying, you know, that's not going to get you anywhere in this game. That's great. Um, but that was really my first, I think, solo experience using technology, um, where nobody else really in my family was interested in playing that. I was just glued to that computer trying to figure this game out. That's pretty cool. That is neat. So I wanted to ask you about, um, you know, you've been involved in some really cool and interesting committees and groups over the years, but one that really stood out um, was the uh, Library and Information Technology Association's Top Technology Trends Committee. Tell me a little bit about that. What, what did they do? What was that about? <coughs> Uh, so the Top Tech Trends Committee still exists. Um, I was on it for a few years. I'm not anymore. Uh, and they put together uh, panel presentations for the annual conference and usually presentations at midwinter as well uh, about what the emerging trends are in technology that you should keep an eye on. And it's usually a moderated panel uh, with half a dozen people or so from different types of libraries who focus on technology with their work or are just interested in it. Uh, and uh, it was fun, you know, being on that committee and being on the panel, um, moderating the panel, uh, and just trying to get everybody to think about a way to talk about tech trends in a, in a way that was accessible to people and not things like, you know, nanobots, uh, things that are just so outside the scope of what someone could practically uh, deal with in their current library setting. Mm -hmm. So it was often trying to have a good uh, blend between all the panelists of things that were very theoretical and things that were very uh, practical and usable today, um, but really always pointed toward getting people to think about what the next trend was going to be next year or five years down the road to plan for the future. Uh, and I know the Top Tech Trends Committee is continuing that work. Um, Maurice Coleman, Coleman did the uh, moderation for the last annual conference session, and it was fantastic. So. I'm I'm happy to go now as an attendee, which is also fun. Yeah, it takes all the pressure off, right? Release exactly. Them, yeah. yeah. So that that leads right into our next question. Uh, you've been recognized as a library journal mover and shaker, uh, as a trend spotter in 2009. So I guess our question is uh, to you: What makes up a trend spotter in today's uh, technology era? I suppose. Well, you'd really have to ask whoever gave me that name from Library <laughs> Journal. Uh, I. I mean, I think what I was doing at the time that a lot of people weren't doing was I, I was watching, you know, two to anywhere between 200 to 400 different blogs and sources uh, about technology, library services, education and related fields. And 
kind of pulling from that what I thought was going to happen next and where I thought we were going. And so that's kind of where my my blogging came in. And um, it was really just reading copious amounts of information all day, every day, and processing that information. And a lot of stuff I did predict um, correctly, and I got a couple things really, really wrong. So I think trend spotters, if you're right more times than you're wrong, that's what makes you a successful trend spotter. Um, I can think of two things I got horribly wrong and probably, a, you know, a couple, few hundred that I got right. So I feel pretty happy with that track record. That's great. It's like a technology but, weatherman. Yeah. It's like the same thing. Yeah, or uh, or uh, what do they call those ones with the crystal balls? Oh, uh, like a psychic? Maybe, yeah, you know, I don't know, psychic? Or a seer? Seer? A seer. I like seer. Seer is better than yeah. psychic. Psychic nice. thinks... Seer. Technology seer. I like that. We're going to give you that title. That's a, that's a good job title, yeah. It's a 2016 yeah. technology seer. Nice. Yeah. So, so it begs the question, are you still trend spotting? Uh, not as much, not not necessarily with technology. Uh, having been in library administration as an assistant director and then a director for the last six years, my job is very different. And so I don't have the, the time or the resources or the mental space to solely focus on tech anymore. So now I'm more focused on public library trends on the whole, everything from facilities issues to children's services to tech. So it's much more widespread now. I think I would still consider myself a trend spotter because I'm keeping track of what's going on. It's just a lot more diversified now uh, and not as, as in-depth in that one particular area of library work. That's exciting. But definitely. I, I guess it comes with your personality. I mean, it seems like you've moved from technology trend spotting to whole library trend spotting, right? So I think that's, uh, that's an awesome, awesome move. It's a good migration. Yeah, that's really cool. <laughs> so, so our next question is, what is your current technology, uh, technology du jour? Do you have a technology preference, Android, Windows, Mac? We'll say Mac again, Mac, iOS, etc. <laughs> so we're kind of Mac um, freaks, but... <coughs> Uh, well, I have a Windows PC at work, and I have a Mac at home. I have a Mac laptop from work, and I have an Android phone. So I try to stay diverse. And that was actually intentional so that I could be versing in all the different platforms and I would know what was going on. Um, I, I actually think I've kind of picked best of breed for all of that, except for the Windows desktop at work, which I don't have a choice about. Um, but I feel like I'm just choosing what I think will work best for my situation. So um, being able to, let's say, exercise a few more privacy and um, information protection protocols using Android makes me a little more comfortable than I would on an iOS platform phone. Sure. Um, so that's, that's why I've made those choices. Um, in terms of technology du jour, I think the thing I'm most excited about right now, uh, we just got uh, an Oculus Rift at work for uh, through a grant um, and we're doing public uh, lab times for virtual reality to give people a chance to try that technology and having tried it on myself I just see a lot of potential there for things that um, are well aligned with what libraries do with education um, with exposure to different places different worlds I mean some of the imaging in there of national monuments and landmarks is just so stunning and makes those places accessible to people who could never afford to go there. That's right. So I, I really like that technology and I can see it being used in other professions like psychology and the medical field um, as, as a treatment mechanism. So I'm super excited about how virtual reality kind of you know started out in the 90s with a huge fail and has now come back basically looking the exact same, just with way, way better graphics, and has become something that might actually work and be sustainable now. So I'm, I'm really psyched to see how that pans out. Um, we're supposed to be getting a Vive VR system coming up soon, so haven't played with that yet, but that's coming down the pike. Well, I can honestly say from, from personal experience that um, virtual reality in libraries is actually something that's extremely relevant. Uh, that's one question that we get here at Sachem a lot because we actually we have the vibe now and saying well isn't this just a toy but it really isn't because there are people like you said that haven't traveled to the Grand Canyon or to Florida to see a rocket launch or has never seen you know one of the Apollo missions launch and now you can right. see it like you were there in 1969 1973 you know and those kinds of things it gives you that that real life experience without actually being there it's almost like time travel in some ways too 
It is. That, that Apollo one you mentioned, that's one of the ones we have on ours as well. And uh, I, I can see a lot of that making making history and making other places just feel a lot more real. I mean, even some of the 360-degree videos that have been taken in places like London and, um, you know, other cities that a lot of our residents are never going to go visit, uh, but they're able to experience what it feels like to stand in the middle of Times Square and and see traffic and people passing you by. Um, that's just super exciting. I'm just psyched to see what happens with that. Uh, that's one of those technologies that I I remember saying, why didn't this succeed back in the 90s? And I, it really was the, the graphics capability just hadn't caught up to the ideas that people had. And, yeah. and now that it finally has, you know, this is something that will work and can be sustainable. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's a great point of view. Absolutely. So can you tell us a little bit about uh, your work with the ALA Intellectual Freedom Roundtables um, Publications Committee? That sounds like uh, a lot of work. Does it? Does it sound like a lot of work? Uh, I, I just joined within the last year, and our only project so far has been to completely rework, which was significant, um, rework the Intellectual Freedom Roundtable's website. Okay. So um, as much of the ALA website, uh, it was uh, outdated, a little cumbersome to navigate, and did not include all of the information that people wanted. So. Um, going through that and writing fresh copy and reorganizing it and having some good information architecture for it, um, I think has helped a lot. I'm sure it's still not perfect, but I'm I'm really pleased with how it turned out compared to where we started. Um, so that's all we've done so far. Um, I joined that committee largely because I contributed to the last uh, intellectual freedom manual, and that was a really interesting process, and I wanted to get more engaged with the publication side of intellectual freedom issues because I feel like with much of library ethical issues, it's stuff we thought about in library school because we were forced to and maybe just don't think about on a regular basis now that we're practicing. And I feel like intellectual freedom is one of those core values that we need to reiterate with all staff and we need to find a way to successfully communicate that value out to everyone who's working in our buildings and also to our, our user bases as well. And that's a really hard thing to do. So that, that's why I got involved with that committee, and I'm hoping to do more work with them in the future. Sounds like a lot of work. But it does sound like a lot cool. of work. And it's, I think it's very important, too, because you're talking about you know, morality, and you're also talking about intellectual freedom, where you know, that doesn't exist everywhere in the world. And it's something that really is kind of overlooked here in the United States. It, and you know, if you're talking about a place like Syria or Iraq or Turkey, what's going on in Turkey, um, especially since the attempted coup, um, so much has happened to curtail intellectual freedom. So it's something that we kind of take advantage of here or, or take for granted here in the United States. And I would even, I would offer a counterpoint that even within the U.S., depending on where you are, what part of the country and what type of library you're talking about, there are a lot of censorship issues that do happen on a regular basis, particularly in school libraries and in very conservative communities where, you know, one complaint from one parent means the whole school worth of kids does not get access to a particular book. Yeah. And um, yeah. the irony to me is most of the time in those cases, you ask people who have challenged books or, or other materials, not always books, you know, have you read it? Have you listened to it? Have you watched it? And almost always the answer is no, I would never get exposed to that garbage. And uh, so it's it's troubling to me that, that that still does happen in this country. And so with Banned Books Week coming up, um, actually starting Sunday, yeah, um, right. I think that that's, a, that's great timing. It's a, it's a great thing for us to be talking about. Definitely. So uh, with all these oars in the water, um, you still have time for the Librarian in Black blog. I, that's amazing to us. I, I kind of don't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, when I started, there was no Twitter. So let's start there. So like now, when I have ideas or, oh, here's this cool article or this new resource or new tech, I'll just put it on Twitter and or Facebook, and that's enough. Right. Back in the day before Twitter, that's what my blog was. It was, here's this cool thing you should look at. A lot of my posts from the early days were three, four, or five sentences. Um, and that was one of my big uh, technology trend spotter fails was when Twitter came, first came out, I said it was blogging for lazy people, and so it would never take off because oh, what the hell? What could you possibly communicate in that that few characters? Yeah. Um, but it does work for resource sharing, and so 
now between you know that communication mechanism giving me an outlet for sharing resources and also having had my job change in the last six years where a, a lot of what I spend my time on, a lot of what I deal with day to day is confidential. I can't share it. I can't talk about it. I can't talk about political issues or personnel problems or facilities issues that we'd rather not be out there in the ether. Right. Uh, you know, there's not as much of my daily work that I can write about anymore. So it really has changed both the amount of, of what I write and also the type of things I write about. Hmm. Okay. Well, let's not let too much out of the bag because we're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back. We're going to talk uh, with Sarah more about the Librarian in Black, Black blog. Wow. Librarian in Black it's like blog. You were thinking about ACDC, Back in Black. I know it. No, I was thinking okay. about rubber baby buggy bumpers. Oh, okay. It's kind of hard to say Librarian in Black blog. That's true. Absolutely. Um, and we're also going to talk about how she went from uh, reading blogs to actually creating and moving forward with it. So we'll be back after a short break. Hi, thanks, and uh, thanks for sticking with us. We're back with Sarah Houghton, a librarian and black blogger and the director of the San Rafael Public Library in California. I'm assuming it's in San Rafael, right? Uh, it's San Rafael. Rafael. It's a very anglicized pronunciation now, but yeah, it is in San Rafael. Okay. So we did it again. We, we almost did. made it through the whole podcast without... Yeah. That's cool. Why do you let me read the names? I, no, you did great with her last name, but you messed up the... It's okay. That's okay. I think it's been 10 minutes since you plugged the library we're at. Do you want to just real quick? No, no, you sure? no. no? It only if it comes up in conversation. Uh, really? I always catch heat because I always talk about the library I work at because I think it's a great place to work. So, And Bob likes to break my chops. I do. Just at any point in time, Sarah, just ask him about this Haitian public library. No, no, no. All right. We we'll talk about it a lot. So. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> <laughs> before um, we ask you questions about how the blog came to be, tell us about the blog and the topics you like to focus on, even from the, the very beginning, just so in case people haven't read the blog and they want to know a little bit more about it and they want to check it out. Yeah, so it's been it's been around for well over a decade now. Uh, That's impressive. The early days, yeah, the early days it was focused really on emerging technologies. I mean, this was the the days of IM and MySpace being hot and 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 new and crazy. Uh, and really just trying to find, it might have been a, a new technology startup, it might be an article about how to think about things, it might be a stat report from Pew, it might, uh, who knows. Um, but it was just pointing people to resources for the most part. And then over time, people started to, I guess, trust my judgment on tech issues and come to me with kind of more in-depth story ideas or, in some cases, leaking information from... Ooh from library vendors or from companies or consortia who had had bad experiences with, um, with corporations that provide some of our services. So uh, a, a couple of kind of, I, I think of them almost as like expose pieces on things that Overdrive was doing that they weren't telling people about, uh, things that Rosetta Stone was doing, uh, Adobe, uh, and all of that was from confidential sources coming to me and sharing information that they didn't feel comfortable sharing on their own. Wow. But they knew I'd, I'd cool. protect their identity. Yeah. And so I did, I've done a few of those stories over time. Uh, and now, again, being a library director, um, I'm more focused on more general issues. So the last post I did was on uh, helping users with memory disorders like dementia and Alzheimer's. Uh, our population in the county that I live in is about 10 years older as far as median age than the rest of the country. Hmm. And so we're kind of seeing a bleeding edge of those issues that other people aren't necessarily seeing in their communities yet. So that's been a big focus for our staff and our, our service provision and something that once we got some training on, I felt like, well, nobody's talking about this yet, so why don't I write something? Um, so now, yeah, it's more library directory generic all across the map type topics. That's great. Yeah. So, 
So we're really interested in why the name Librarian in Black. Um, two reasons. One, I was always wearing black, so that was easy. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but it also just abbreviates to LIB, which is like library. Oh, yeah. So that seemed like a natural fit. That's that's pretty that's pretty catchy. That's that's a good little little hook. That's pretty. It's cool. worked so far. Yeah. <laughs> so when you know someone is funny, people usually say, "Oh, you should be a comedian," um, but. Very few actually attempted, and others, you know, who tell interesting stories are often told, "Yeah, you should write a book," and and that concept is sort of tra- sort of transitioned into, "Oh, you should start a blog or write a blog," but you know, there aren't too many people that actually pierce that veil and move forward to take that next step to actually take part and and start a blog. And if they do, they don't really maintain it; it, it fades after a little bit of time. So, tell us what spurred you on to actually take the concept you know, and actually start the process. Yeah, so I attended a conference session uh, that was given by Michael Stevens and Aaron Schmidt. And this was when blogs were brand new. I think blogging had just come out as a concept within the last few months before the conference. And I went to the session just to think about how it would be useful for libraries as a communication medium. And one of the things that Aaron said in his talk was, if you have something to share or to say, you should start a blog. And I went up and talked to them afterward and kind of threw my idea at them of, you know, I'm spending all this time going through all these tech resources. Um, I'd like to save everybody else that time by just picking out the few good things that are in there and, and sharing them. Does that seem like something people would want? And they were both like, yeah, of course, yeah, you should totally do that. Um, and uh, so that's kind of where the inspiration came from. And uh, I think I started it within a week or two after that conference. So it was almost immediate. What kind of, um, obviously there's a web presence with that. What did you use to, um, to actually build the site? You know, back then you didn't use GeoCities or something like that, did you? <laughs> no, <laughs> I, used, I used iPad, which was pretty new. Uh, TypePad was the original site, and then I migrated to WordPress, uh, maybe 2007, somewhere around there, I migrated to WordPress, and I've had it on WordPress ever since. Yeah, WordPress seems to be the, uh, the go-to now for just about any kind of site building, for the most part, for, for the beginners, not for the advanced, but... Our, our library website is on WordPress. Um, we're a small library. We don't have a huge site. We've only got two locations. So WordPress is a perfect platform for us and uh, makes it easy for all the staff to maintain it. So I, I would recommend it for a lot of things. Um, with the, the number of uh, extensions and plugins that are out there now, you can do some pretty amazing stuff with WordPress that you definitely couldn't do 10 years ago. Absolutely. Our website is a WordPress as well. And like nice. you like you said, the plugins are just incredible. There's so much that uh, that you can do with it. I mean, just in terms of our podcast, there were so many plugins yeah. that we can do that made doing this so much easier. So to the point where, you know, when we upload a, an episode, it's a matter of just sending a file to a plugin, and it takes care of the rest. So yeah, WordPress really does have it figured out. Yeah. Cool. So I yes. think you. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, I think you already answered this, but it, when did you go live and what was the initial response? So I think you answered the, the you know, how long it's been around question, but what was the initial reaction, I suppose, by folks that were seeing it for the first time? Yeah, it went live in December of 2003, so it was a while ago. Okay. Um, the initial reaction was pretty limited. Um, not a lot of people saw it for the first few months, and then it kind of took off and very rapidly uh, became something that was getting mentioned in articles and in other people's blog posts. Um, And my readership went up really, really fast. Um, At the peak, I had about 20,000 visitors a day, which is insane. That's nice. That is crazy insane. Yeah, I do not have that now. But (laughs) at (laughs) at the peak time, I definitely did. And I remember stopping looking at the stats because I started to feel freaked out by how many people were looking at it. <laughs> well, that's a good thing to freak out about, yeah. I just think. Yeah. That, yeah, that's, wow. Maybe we'll bring those stats with this podcast. Maybe. Think, maybe you know, those 20,000 will come and listen to the podcast. I think this will be our number one, though, after the, all we've done. It's this probably just, going to be, fly yeah. right through the roof, yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Um, so I'm imagining way back when you started, 
publicizing your site and your blog was a little different than it is now with Twitter and Facebook. Like you said before, it was a MySpace world and an IM world. Um, so, you know, how, how did you get the word out? I remember uh, posting about it on the PubLive listserv and Calix, which is the California Libraries listserv. Uh, I remember putting it on my MySpace page. And I don't remember doing any publicity other than that. I think that was it. You know, it's something, there is something to be said for um, listservs, especially, you know, professional listservs for library, library world. We did a, a podcast with a, another library here on the island that's in a different county. And they put it on their listservs and it just exploded. So yeah. listservs are a great way to reach, reach people even today. Um, Absolutely. Yep. Everybody checks their email. They might not read everything, but at least you have the chance of reaching them. Right, yeah, exactly. That's true. So do you feel that your training and experience as a librarian uh, helped you develop the blog, or was your knowledge of technology a larger part of the development of the blog? And this is, I guess, regarding the content, not specifically the construction. Um, I actually think that my background in English and Irish literature and writing helped more, because uh, the technology piece wasn't that hard to set up. It was really writing in a non-crappy way. That was the hard part. <laughs> I mean, there are a lot of people who just write really poorly. And I think writing always came very easily for me. So I think if that wasn't the case, it wouldn't have been easy for me to churn out. You know, I was putting up like five things a day at the, the first few years I had it up. Um, and if writing was hard, that definitely wouldn't have happened. Yeah. So I think it was more that experience and, uh, and training that, that helped with the blog. The technology piece is incidental. Yeah. Uh, the content is more important than the package. That's so true. That's a great answer. Yeah. To write it up in an engaging way where it's enough to pull somebody in to want to read it. It's the content. Yeah. It's the content. Yeah. content and the way you present the, the content. Yeah. yeah. Sure. So <laughs> when you make an omelet, you have to break a few eggs. So with your blog, have you ever ruffled feathers, upset some people? And how does that, you were talking before with the confidentiality with people, you know, saying things off the record that you would blog about and protecting your sources. It's almost as though um, there's almost a blurred line where almost you have this um, uh, almost become like a member of the press in a way. I think so. Um, I had a press pass for a while um, when blog bloggers were still kind of a novelty uh, and have utilized that at a few conferences <laughs> to my benefit. Um, I've definitely ruffled feathers. Uh, I can think of four vendors that you regularly see at library conference exhibit halls whose representatives tell me that they're not allowed to talk to me, that they can, <laughs> that they can listen, uh, but they're not allowed to say anything. Uh, I, in a, a previous job, uh, had posted a a true but very negative uh, story about experience with a particular vendor. And that vendor contacted my direct supervisor, who then tried to pressure me uh, to take that post down. Wow. Uh, and because this was a site that I had written on my own time, my own money, I said, no, it has nothing to do with my work here. Uh, I'm I'm very uncomfortable with you even asking that question, and thankfully the library director backed me up on that. Uh, but the vendor continued to try to, you know, work through my supervisors to get me to stop talking crap about them. Uh, and it's it's ironic because right after I became a library director, that the vendor kind of blind or cold called the library director's phone number and was trying to sell me on their product and saying, you know, oh, we just heard your library got a new director and we're so glad to talk with you. And, you know, are you willing to look at this product? And I said, you know, you probably don't know who you are talking to. So I'm going to give you my name and then let you reconsider if you want to continue this conversation. And then as soon as I told them who I was, they said, oh, I'm not allowed to talk to you. And they hung up. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, you are so, everything we in, we aspire to be. I mean, Chris and I have ruffled yeah, a few feathers, but we're we're getting there, right? Wow, so, that's that's yeah. pretty neat. That's pretty cool. It's, I and I will say, like there are there are people think being a library director is awesome because you have all the power. You totally don't. Usually, it's just a it's a drag of a job. But 
there are a few times when you get to make decisions like, no, I know this, this particular company is completely unethical right. and I am not doing business with them and I am the only person who gets to make that decision. So bam. That's great. So that's, that's a lovely place to be in. Yeah. I love that. That's awesome. That is great. That's the best question so far. <laughs> so before we get you in too much trouble or ourselves, um, do you prefer to inform, editorialize, or commentate, I guess, when creating a blog post and what are your motivations to do that? I think it's a blend, um, but I think I I will always be upfront if I have an opinion because I feel like disguising that behind a veil of supposed imp- impartiality is very insincere. Um, so I try to present facts and then say, and here's what I think. Uh, and I feel like that's the best thing that I can, that's the best service that I can provide in the position I'm in. Yeah. Hmm. So, uh where do you curate the materials for your blog posts? Now, I know you're not doing it as much as you used to, and the, the, the vein of what you're posting has changed because by virtue of the fact that your job has changed. Um, but, you know, could you tell us a little bit about, um, you know, how you curated the, the articles, even back when you first started? And, you know, obviously your superhero librarian skills come into play here. But... You know, what was your, did you have a process and do you, did you change that process or has that process evolved over time? It's definitely evolved over time. Like I said, initially I was looking at hundreds of sources every day um, and parsing through thousands of individual posts or articles every day to pull out a few things that I thought were worth mentioning. Uh, and so it was just a, it was just a scan and scan and save process. Uh, and then, you know, doing a little bit more research on the topic or on the, the thing that caught my eye and then writing about it. Now it's more, if something comes up during my daily work that I think is useful to share, I put it on my to-do list as write post about X. Um, I have 17 of those right now that I've not written because I haven't had the time. Wow. Uh, so there's, there's definitely stuff still out there, but it's more things that come across you know, my desk or my experience that I just haven't read about yet or that people aren't talking about yet and that I feel like should be part of the li- larger library discussion. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping to start posting more in the future, um, hoping to reclaim a little bit of my time. Well, if, if you do, let us know how you do it because we could do the same, right? <laughs> Reclaiming yeah. time somehow. Reclaiming time is... Uh... So what would you say is, uh, is next for the Librarian in Black? I think what I just said, you know, yeah, trying kind of trying that, yeah. to find some more time, try and post more frequently again. Right. Yeah. And that's always the challenge. Um, the time balance. management, the finding balance. the material, and then finding, you know, again, finding the time. It's You have to, you know, count finding the time twice. Yeah, because the balance it's, is tough. It's, yeah. it's really, really hard. Well, we want to thank you for sharing and uh, giving us insight into the evolution of the um, the blog and how you've, you know, both curated the material, how it's developed over time, and where it's at now. So when we come back, we're going to be asking Sarah our top 10 library questions, or what we like to call the 032 list. Uh, it's the Dewey Decimal Number for a top 10 list. And we have to give a big thank you to Melanie Cardone from the Longwood Public Library for the name idea. Uh, and if you're a frequent listener to the podcast, then you'll know that uh, we ask these questions of all of our guests, and it really has become interesting to see how people answer these questions differently yeah so we will be back in just a moment with uh with our list Hey, we're back talking to Sarah Houghton, who will be our uh, next victim. Did I say victim? I meant guest. Um, to participate in the 032 list, which corresponds to the Dewey number for top 10 lists. Uh, the list is a top 10 list of librarian-related questions. So we're not going to be asking you anything other than library-related kind of questions. Um, 
So the questions are inspired by the website Literary Hub, which is uh, a great website with very interesting library-related stories and interviews. Uh, you, can, uh, you can see their work by visiting www.lithub.com. Uh, their Twitter feed, which is a great feed, at, uh, at LitHub, or on Facebook at facebook.com slash thelithub. Check them out because they do some great uh, things, and, and they do a great job educating and informing the library world on great topics from all over the world. Thank you, Literary Hub. So, first question. What did you want to be when you were a child? So, when I was a kid, I would say starting around age... I didn't really want to be anything until maybe age eight or nine. Uh, and I decided I wanted to be a psychologist for gifted children um, because uh, I was classified as gifted as a kid and grew up in a school where being smart was not a cool thing. It was not a good thing. Uh, the, the other kids and the teachers both kind of looked down on that and treated the smart kids poorly. Mm. And I had a wonderful community psychologist who helped me to learn to accept myself for who I was and, and not worry too much about what other people thought. And I wanted to be able to do that for other kids when I grew up. So that was actually my career path when I started an undergraduate um, until I got a C in the class, the uh, chemistry of the brain. Mm -hmm. Sorry about that. We just and got the phone for a second. <laughs> Should I start over? No, no, you're good. <laughs> just technical <laughs> difficulty. We're not sure if there's any technologists in the house that can fix yeah, it. Yeah, there's, there's no <laughs> IT people here. It's okay. <laughs> So anyway, in undergrad, I got to see in the class the chemistry of the brain, and I decided that I wouldn't want someone providing psychology or psychiatry services to me who had gotten a C in that class. Mm. Uh, and so I changed tracks into literature and Spanish uh, with psychology still as a focus. So uh, I suppose coming across those lines, what is your first memory of a library and who brought you to the library for the first time? Well, it was definitely my mom who brought me. Uh, my first memory is standing on a footstool kind of precariously and flipping through bins of picture books. That's cool. Uh, and if I'm remembering correctly, they were gladed, and that's like a new thing that's kind of coming back here in libraries now, um, organizing things by subjects that make sense to the kids, right. like animals and fairies and shapes um, instead of the way we organize them by author now. Mm. So... Um, Whoever was running that library did a, a good job of making it accessible to little kids like me. That's great. Do you remember which library it was? Yeah, um, it was the Schomburg Public Library in Illinois. Okay, cool. Okay. Big shout out to them. Yeah, right? That was great. So when did you decide to work in a library? And if not, what was your first career path? We kind of talked about this earlier, but it, this is these are the questions that we always ask. So, So like we said before, many librarians choose the profession as a second career. And I think we covered this a little bit earlier, but you can just answer it quickly if you want. Yeah, it was just trying to cobble together part-time work to pay for college, and working um, in a library seemed like a good idea. So I applied for a shelving job at the local public library, got it, and then the final condition of getting the job was meeting with the library director to get his final approval, uh, at which point I realized he was the father of an ex-boyfriend. So that was a little <laughs> awkward. Wow. But I still got the job, so yeah. uh, that was my first library job. That's great. That's a great story. <laughs> so um, who is your favorite fictional librarian? So there's an Australian series called The Librarians that if you haven't seen, you should see. It's not the one and with Noah Riley, right? That's that's the American version? No, that's stupid. Don't watch that. that exactly. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for actually coming that's out and great. saying that. That's great. Somebody's <laughs> actually said that. <laughs> that's why we no, love her. <laughs> There's, there's a character on there called uh, Frances O'Brien, and she, it's, the, it's the leading character, and she just has to deal with all of the crazy crap that actually does happen in public libraries, no matter where in the world you are. And I just oh, appreciate the, the realness of her reactions of, to all of this insanity going on around her. That's absolutely, absolutely <laughs> the truth. That's great. So what would you be doing if you weren't working in a library? So I kind of have two answers to that question because that's hard. Um, I've thought for a long time about pursuing a PhD and starting to teach, so I still think that that's a possible kind of end of career path potentially somewhere down the road. Mm. Um, but if I wasn't doing anything with libraries, I probably would move to Hawaii and open some kind of combination 
Orchid Nursery, Avocado Farm, Cat Sanctuary, <laughs> <That's great. laughs> Microbrewery, Shave Ice Stand, something. Microbrewery. Um, oh, wow. We're in microbrewery. Perfect. Wow. You, yeah. you, you're going to be hiring? It's fantastic. You know, I've had, I've had this conversation with a number of people about kind of creating this multiple resource type place and then adding a library to it too and just bringing over all the awesome people that have always wanted to work together. So if it ever does become a reality, sure. Yeah, look sure, us up because we'll be the little free library and brewery and shaved ice station. <laughs> I'll do I the shaved ice, Absolutely. yeah. Down by sure. the beach. Spray, you know, sprinkle all the flavoring oh, in the I'm, ice. I'm yeah. down. That's, this is that's good. nice. Okay, so what is um, your favorite section of the library? So I'm going to interpret that as meaning my libraries. Mm-hmm, and sure. It could, it could mean anything you want it to be. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for the license. Um, <laughs> it's not actually in the library. Uh, there's, a, there's a plot of jasmine out in the front of our library that every time I walk by it, it just that, that beautiful aroma just makes me happy. Um, and it's something I walk by every day on the way into work and the way out. So it's a, it's a nice little peaceful moment uh, before and after. That's cool. So if you had infinite space and access to infinite amount of money, uh, what would you add to the library? Uh, we have two very tiny libraries, uh, one of which is over 100 years old and in bad condition. So if I could, I would build an army of nanobots that could disassemble every <laughs> single part of the existing library and assemble it into a brand new one That's for cool. both of our locations. Nanobots. Nanobots. Nice. Yep. I, I smell a teen program. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you love about your library other than that jasmine growing out front? Right. Um, I feel like our libraries, both of them have kind of uh, warped the space-time continuum. So when I got there in 2011, I felt like the library was very much stuck in the 1980s, both in terms of facilities, services, programs. And five years later, the staff have just really rallied, and I feel like we're somewhere around the present. And so to make that much progress in such a short amount of time just really proud of everyone for working toward that and, and getting us up to being a, a modern library, providing relevant services for the community. So yeah. that I think that's the thing I love the most. I'm really glad you said that because a lot of times the staff and their enthusiasm is overlooked. And the fact that you saw the problem, you had staff that was enthusiastic in helping you solve the problem, and you came together and you, you fixed the problem, that says a lot. That really does says it says a lot about you as an administrator, and about vision. And it's something that Bob and I talk about all the time. Yeah. It's one thing to be the day to day person that you know you get you come in and you go through the motions. It's another thing to have a vision and to work towards that vision. And it sounds like you are a visionary kind of person. Yeah, well, I'm not saying it was easy, and we've still got work to do. But um, I feel like I can be proud of what we offer, and I feel like all of us can be proud of the amount of change that we've implemented in what felt like a very long time, but realistically was a very, very short window. Yeah, sounds like you got a lot done in a very short amount of time. Definitely, sure. That's pretty rare. Yeah. <laughs> so what is the weirdest thing that's that's happened in your library? You knew that was coming, uh, right? You knew that was coming. And we don't necessarily mean the worst thing either. Right. right. I don't want to talk about the worst thing. That's just... Uh, so I'll talk about the weirdest thing. Um, a couple years ago, we had a very, uh, there's a cemetery, there's a couple cemeteries in town, but there's one that's relatively close to the library. Maybe this is going to be good. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> a very angry and frustrated cemetery employee rage quit his job, took the cemetery's golf cart, drove it all the way to the library, and abandoned it in our driveway. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> The police had to come and get it because the cemetery didn't have anybody to go get it because their employee had just rage quit. So uh, <laughs> it was fascinating watching the cops and parking services impounding this cemetery golf cart that's off great. the library driveway. Of, yeah. all, the, of all the places. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah. that's great. A cemetery totally in any random. story. Yeah, a cemetery in any story just happens to be just a really good story. <laughs> well, and a rage quitting involved. Rage, yeah, absolutely. Like, like how much stress? Never mind. Oh, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> so who would you say and I'm guessing it's not the uh, the old cemetery employee who is your favorite regular patron you know it's funny because 
I don't get to see people usually unless they're mad. Being a library director, you don't you don't really talk to people unless they're really upset or unless they've really misbehaved to the point where you're banning them from the library. Right. So I, I can think of my least favorite people. Um, we have so many regulars who come in every day. Uh, and a lot of them, you know, I know by sight and say hello to. And of them, I couldn't pick a, pick a definite favorite. Um, I think that the person who comes and, and is happy is my, my favorite person. And hopefully that's more than one person. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so our final question. And this, I love this question. This because is the best question. This is the best question. It's a good ever. ending question. It too. is. What are people without library cards missing out on? Saving money. Oh my gosh. There's, there's so much if you're working on a budget, which almost everyone is, um, that, that you can get through the library that you wouldn't, that you'd normally have to pay for. So whether you're a completely digital patron and you just want eBooks or streaming movies, or there's someone who wants basic technology classes and large print books to take home with you, you can save a ton of money by using your library card instead of your credit card. And I think that's the thing people without a card are missing out on. Yeah. That's a great a library card instead of a credit card. We haven't really had that answer. Yeah. That's yeah. I mean uh, everybody says all of our previous guests, most of them have said, you know, everything. Everything have been really general about it. But that's a fantastic point of view. Yeah, it really is. So we actually have to say thanks for being such a good sport and answering all of our silly questions. Um, so it was really great having you on the podcast. And we were, we, Bob and I were talking about it for a while when you had agreed to do it and how excited we were to have you on. Um, so oh, we, thank you. We, we really wanted to say thank you. And, um, you know, what, what more can we say? This is probably our biggest celebrity. I'm going to say this is, this is our best podcast. I, I was really thrilled to do this. Yeah, this is great. Very cool. Your next one's going to be better. You guys are doing great. <laughs> Thank you so much. That's a huge endorsement right there. That is. Yeah. Can we actually say, uh, Librarian in Black said we're doing great. Yeah, we're going to send you some stuff, <laughs> sign it, and just send it back. Just... All right. That's funny. Okay, so that's Thanks, all the time. That, thank you. That's all the time we really have for this edition. So if you have any questions or comments on our show, please go to the Contact Us section of our website at thelibrarypros.com where we'll also have notes and links from all of today's uh, all of the stuff that we talked about today in the episode. Uh, if you have, uh, you can also check us out on Twitter at, at the Library Pros and on Facebook at Facebook Tom slash Facebook dot com slash the Library Facebook Pros. Tom. I always that's mess up, but that's probably a website. Facebook Tom dot com. It probably is. Now we got to check it out. I always mess up the uh, the closing, so it's that's okay. Um, so what, that, that's what you just let me do it. <laughs> and so it. you don't miss a thing don't forget to subscribe on rss itunes android email and google play remember the opinions stated by the library pros and their guests are solely those of chris and bob and are not those of the sachem public library ms clark memorial library or any other library go ahead and say it see you next okay time. we will see you <laughs> next, next time. time you've been listening to the library pros podcast the library pros are brought to you by pippet productions and by the library pros themselves Krista Cristofaro, and Bob Johnson. Special thanks to Sachin Public Library for providing space for this podcast. Until the next turn of the page, I'm your announcer, Carlton Welch. <laughs>